What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. We post all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes. Everything we got going on on the baseball side gets shared out at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you guys are giving us a follow over there if you haven't already. You can get pretty much all that same content at sportsethos.com as well if you're not somebody who is on Twitter. You miss out on our daily updates, our quick hits, the different news that our guys are sharing out on their Twitter feeds throughout the day. You don't get that same level of depth, but you get most of the same content if you go to sportsethos.com. Also, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You might be somebody who just clicked on a link or you saw it shared out in your feed or whatever. Make sure that you are subscribing to the pod if you like what you're hearing and make sure that you get it downloaded each and every day without having to go searching for links. Helps me out, helps you out all around. The best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast if it is something that you guys are enjoying. But today, we are going to be doing a mailbag episode. I put a tweet out maybe two hours ago now, and we've got, I think, 15 or 16 questions here that we are going to be talking about. And we're going to get going right off the top here. That's all we're going to be talking about today. There's not really so much news. It was a very short slate day. Yes, I believe it was six games yesterday. There's not really so much to talk about there. So we are just going to be talking about these mailbag questions that you guys have sent in over the last couple of hours. Let's start it off with a question here from Tyler. In a categories league, is J-Rod a massive buy low, or is this sophomore slump going to linger? Julio Rodriguez, I think, is a pretty solid buy low at this point. You were spending a top five pick, regardless of your format, regardless of whether you play on the NFBC or Yahoo or wherever, you were spending a top five pick on Julio Rodriguez. That price is drastically lower now. It's not like he's even been terrible from a fantasy point of view. He's got 22 runs. He's got six homers. He's got six steals. It's the batting average, and it specifically has been really killing him recently. He's going six for his last 39. The batting average for the year is 205. So that is where a lot of this, you know, low ranking and you know thought of Julio is not producing has come from. Overall, if you're looking at his numbers from what he did last year to what he did this year, he's walking at about the same rate, striking out just a little bit more. His BAPIP is drastically down. It went from two, or excuse me, from 345 down to 255 so far this season. So that's something that will eventually figure itself out. For somebody with the speed of Julio, he should be getting on base. You know, his BAPIP should be somewhere in the 320, 330 neighborhood like we saw. Like for his career, it's 326. That is what he should be doing considering how fast he is. Those balls he puts in play on the infield, you know, left side of the infield, ground ball specifically, he's going to beat out a lot more of those than the average player. So his BAPIP will increase throughout the season. 255 is not where it's going to stand. Overall, when you look at what he has done, I'm not overly concerned. If you can get Julio Rodriguez for 8 or nine, uh, 90 cents on the dollar, 80 or 90 cents on the dollar at this point, I would be doing it. He's still in a really good lineup. Even though they haven't been so great so far this season, there's still a lot of talent to go around in that lineup. Let me just pull up their offensive um, leader stats here. Let's see. Yeah, they're 21st in runs. They're 28th in hits. 24th in on-base percentage, 22nd in home runs. The Mariners have really not produced, but you got to figure with this lineup of Julio, Teoscar Hernandez, Suarez, Ty France, Jared Kalanick, like you figure they will get it going sooner rather than later, and that will just you know boost those counting stats of Julio. But for just him, the batting average is the only thing that's really a big concern if you're looking after you know just about a month here 
six homers and six steals. It's really not that bad, comparatively speaking, maybe compared to what we saw from the other guys, especially like Acuna. If you took J-Rod over Acuna at, with your first pick, you might be kind of sick about that. But I think overall, Julio is going to be fine. He is still somebody where you can acquire him at a fairly steep discount at this point. If you're looking at Yahoo rankings, he's right inside the top 200 at this point. And like I said off the top, you paid a top five, maybe even a top three or a number one overall draft pick for Julio. So the price is definitely lower than what you initially paid or what whoever in your league paid on draft day. I would be trying to shoot out a couple offers. If you can get Julio for a fourth round player, a fifth round kind of player, maybe you won't be able to, but that's kind of the neighborhood where I would be going, a fourth round generally kind of player or somebody who is a fourth round type of value, not necessarily somebody who was taken in the fourth round, but somebody who's going to be like a 30 to 50 kind of overall player. I think I'd be okay trading that for Julio. I think that he is going to turn it around. We can still see a 30-30 season or something close to it, and I think that batting average will end up maybe not as high as it was last year at 284 because he's put himself in a bit of a hole to start the year now, but a 250-260 batting average with at least, I'm going to say, 25 homers and 25 steals, good lineup context for runs and RBIs. I would be trying to buy low on Julio. I think that he is a quintessential buy low at this point. Next question, uh, another week. No Liberator, Matthew Liberator for the Cardinals. He's a pitching prospect. Pitching still awful, Contreras DH. Do the Cardinals get it together anytime soon? And is Nolan Gorman a panic sell in fantasy at this point with whatever they're doing out there since DH Contreras cuts into his playing time? So we kind of touched on the whole Cardinals situation earlier this week. I can't remember if it was Tuesday or if it was Wednesday now, but we did kind of go over this entire team and their situation. Now, Nolan Gorman... I wouldn't be panic selling. We'll start with that part of the question. I wouldn't be panic selling Nolan Gorman. I think that the value is probably reasonably high, but it's also probably dipped a little bit over the last couple of weeks, considering he has been missing some games, considering he is four for his last 27. Now, in that four for his last 27, there's two homers and two steals over the course of the season, eight homers and three steals. When he gets in the lineup, he's typically batting third. So there's some good and there is some bad with Nolan Gorman. I think that the value at this point is probably not high enough anymore that you could sell him for a reasonable return or something that I think is uh, an equitable return for you. Obviously, every league is so individualized. I see some trade offers come across my DMs and that tweeting people are tweeting at me that are just ludicrous, and I can't even understand how they are. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but you see some crazy, crazy trades going out there. Maybe you can sell Nolan Gorman for a top 100 player. If you can do that, then I would be doing it. But I wouldn't be panic selling him and just taking back any old piece off the scrap heap or any waiver wire piece because I still don't know exactly what the Cardinals are going to do. I think in the long term, Wilson Contreras, he said it the other day, I think the franchise wants him uh, to be the catcher. He said it. I am the starting catcher for this team. Maybe they give him a couple weeks off, but I think at the end of the day, Contreras goes back behind the plate. Gorman will end up getting you know those infield reps to go along with some DH reps, probably more likely than not DHing. And I think that they will eventually sort themselves out. Like, if we're talking about will this team be, you know, a playoff team, I think it's still a little bit too early to tell. But I'm just going to look up their season-by-season record here. And if you look back every year, going back to, let's see, the last time they had a losing record in a season was 2007. This is a team that every year seems to figure it out and before that before the 2007 season the the year before that when they had a losing record was 99 two times in my lifetime that they have had a losing record 
This is not a team that I would expect to just flounder around all season long. I do expect that they will make some changes, whether it's in the rotation, which is probably likely where the, ro- uh, where the changes need to be coming from. I don't know that, you know, there's not much they can really do with the lineup at this point. They can, you know, they can switch guys in and out here and there. The talent is there offensively. They don't need to add pieces. If anything, they have too many pieces offensively. It really comes down to their starting pitching. Jordan Montgomery is not an ace. Miles Michaelis is not an ace. Flaherty, not an ace. Steven Matz, you, know, you go on and on. They don't have that solid number one starter. And, you know, Wainwright's back. Okay, Wainwright's not a number one starter anymore either. He is, is he 42 or is he 40? Yeah, he's 41. He's not 42. He's not 42 yet. He will be later this season. But I think their biggest need is starting pitching. And that does come back to your Matthew Liberator question. When will he come up? I'm really not sure about Liberator. Um, I, I don't think he's as good as a lot of people do. And, again, I say this whenever we talk prospects. I'm not the most prospect-savvy person. I, I don't spend time poring over minor league game film and game logs, and that's just I focus a lot more on redraft. My, the prospect game does not excite me as much. I don't have as much of a passion for it, and therefore a lot of my content does not focus on it. We still bring people on here and there. We had Eric Cross on the season uh, before the season to talk about all the potential prospects to get called up this season. And we'll do it every now and again. But I do not have the greatest knowledge of minor league pitchers. I really don't. Minor leaguers in general. But looking at Matthew Liberatore, this season has been really good for him. He has an 11.7 strikeouts per nine, which is a 32% K rate. He's got a 2.77 ERA. He's got a 3.11 XFIP. He's looked really good so far in AAA. I just worry, and again, prospects get better. They progress year after year. He's not usually been anywhere near this good in AAA. The strikeout rate has never been, or in, in the minor leagues in general, the strikeout rate, the highest it's ever been before this was 29%. That was in rookie ball in 2018 with Tampa. Other than that, the highest strikeout rate outside of rookie ball was 23.7% in 2021 at AAA. That was over 22 games and 18 starts, which is a pretty decent sample size. 2022, you're looking at 23.4% K rate. Jumping up to 32%, is not something that I would really expect to carry over to the major league level for Matthew Liberatore. A jump like that, and again, I don't have a a great knowledge of Liberatore other than what I saw at the big league level last year from the little clips I see on Twitter looking at the game logs. I just don't know if that number is necessarily sustainable. I don't know if anything that he's done this year so far is sustainable because the rest of his minor league track record is not very good, very mediocre, not a lot of strikeouts, had a bit of a walk issue, always had some walk issues. But this season even, it's 9.4% his walk rate. It's not like it's a sterling, you know, 5, 6, even 7%. 9.4 is still pretty high. There's still a lot of things that concern me with Matthew Liberatore. So I don't know that he's necessarily, oh, he'll get called up and the Cardinals will, will get their season right. I don't think that is the case. I think that he might be kind of an interesting guy to stash in deeper formats. But I don't see Matthew Liberatore coming up and being like these other pitching prospects that we have hope for. Maybe he goes for the same level of fab bidding or waiver wire prioritizing. I just don't see Liberatore coming up and having the impact of like a Tanner Bybee or a Tosh Bradley or even a Mason Miller. Or, you know, I don't see him in that same grouping. I think that he is more of somebody who may help them out a little bit in terms of depth. But to go back to overall, will the Cardinals figure it out? They need to go outside the organization and bring in some starting pitching. They've talked about Tyler O'Neill being dealt for a long time. Go trade Tyler O'Neill for a starting pitcher. Give him a new start. Bring in some new life into the organization on the staff because their staff is awful. 
It is a terrible, terrible, terrible pitching staff, and I think that is their biggest need right now. And I don't know that Matthew Liberatore is necessarily going to be their savior. Probably going to have to come through the trade market, but I do think that the Cardinals will figure it out sooner rather than later. I don't expect them to be a 60-win team this year. I think they'll still easily be a 500-ball club playoffs. Maybe they'll be a wild-card team because they've put themselves in a pretty big hole at this point, but I do think over the course of the season they will be a lot better than what we have seen so far. 13-25 and 25 start is about as bad as you could possibly get, but I don't think that it will continue to that degree. Next question is about Nick Prado, and the question is kind of open-ended. Uh, Nick Prado versus other call-ups, not sure exactly who I would compare him to, but I'll just go into Prado here in and of himself. He's looked really impressive. He's 17 for 49. He's got two homers. He's got 12 RBIs. He's batting usually fifth or sixth in that lineup, and to this point, he has really been producing. Good minor league track record for Nick Prado. Now, one thing I will warn is that the batting average will not stick to this degree. He's a 500 BABIP. He's batting 347. It's not going to happen. Throughout the minor league, he's usually been like a 250, 260, as high as 280 uh, in high A. But that was years and years ago. He's generally been kind of a bad batting average guy, so I wouldn't expect him to all of a sudden have figured that out. I think he can be somebody who gives you low-end double-digit power, so we're probably talking... I think maybe 12 to 15 home run range. He can throw in some steals. We know there's some speed there. He didn't use it so much last season. Uh, he played 49 games at the big league level last year, zero steals. And in AAA, he had only eight steals in 82 games. But if you go back over the previous levels of the minor leagues, you saw 22 steals in high A, or excuse me, 22 steals in low A, 17 in high A, and then seven once he got the double A. There's a little bit of speed there. I think we can probably maybe get five or five, six steals out of him over the course of the whole season to go along with low-end double-digit power. The counting stats are going to be kind of interesting. I, I guess it really depends on if Kansas City figures it out. I don't know that he is necessarily somebody that I'd be grabbing in a shallow league. I think that he is more of a 15-team guy. If you wanted to take a chance in the 12-team league, I guess I wouldn't fault you for it so much. But at the same time, I don't know that his skill set is really going to last in a shallow format. I would be more interested in Nick Prado in a 15-team league. I don't know that in a 10 or a 12 he is going to cut it. Because I think the offense will get better overall in Kansas City. But I don't know that it'll be good enough to support a guy like Nick Prado in the middle of that lineup in terms of the runs and RBIs. Because he's not going to be a huge run and RBI producer just based off of who he is, he needs to have good lineup context for that. And I don't know that it's going to be great lineup context. We might lock ourselves into 100 runs and RBIs combined. But even then, I don't know that we're going to get there. So I think he is more of a 15-team, deeper guy. First and outfield eligibility is really nice on Yahoo, but I still think that he is more properly suited for deeper leagues. Is Corey Schmidt legit? I think you're talking about Casey Schmidt, the guy who's been called up here for the Giants, who has been unbelievable uh, yeah, you are talking about Casey Schmidt. Uh, his minor league numbers were meh, but he's obviously been great through three games. So, yeah, this is not something that you can read into and say this is what he is going to be at the major league level. Casey Schmidt has been off to a historic start. He is eight for his first 12. He's got two homers. He's got five runs scored. He's driven in four runs. I don't think that Casey Schmidt is going to be great at all, really. If you look at his minor league track record, Good batting average, you know, but really limited power and speed numbers. The only time he really ever showed power was at high A in 2022, where he had 17 homers in 93 games. But I haven't really seen outside of that a whole lot of power. The power numbers, the power metrics are not really that great. They're not terrible. The ISOs, they're not bad. 
but I don't see him as being somebody where you can look at what he's done over these first few games and say this is gonna. I don't think anybody's really doing that. But I don't think Casey Schmidt is somebody that should be added up as much as he has been. He's at the 24% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I'm sure there's some people in 10s and 12s who took a shot on him. But realistically, you're looking at pretty limited power, pretty limited speed. Batting average, he might be like a 250, 260 guy, best case, absolute best case. But I don't think that he is doing enough, or I don't think he will do enough to be a shallow league guy. If you want to take a stab on him in a 15-team league and see if he can maybe stick while there's no Brandon Crawford, I don't mind doing that, but I think that your money or your waiver priorities are probably going to be better spent on other players. I don't think that he is really going to be somebody who has rest-of-season value. If you want to try and ride out the hot streak, then you can go for it. But I don't think that he is going to be somebody that I am really interested in from a rest-of-season context, not somebody that I would be that, that interested in. But deeper leagues, if you want to take a shot on him, I'm not going to hold it against you. This is an interesting one. Trade away Yuri Perez for Nikola Dolo in redraft. This is a very tricky question. Nikola Dolo, I don't know exactly how to feel about Nikola Dolo. I think he'll get a lot better. The strikeouts are still there. I think overall the underlying numbers are still very good. I think I, I would prefer Nikola Dolo. Yuri Perez is this unknown, and he's going to be starting tonight. We don't know exactly how good he's going to be, but he's jumped up to 56% rostered in Yahoo leagues. People are all over him. I think I would take that trade, though. I think I would take Lodolo and what we have seen from him do at the Major League level. Even though it's been bad this season, he is still, I think, the preferred uh, player in 2023 over Yuri Perez. I could be wrong. Perez might come up and just dominate, but I will take the guy that we have seen at the Major League level over somebody who has literally zero experience thus far. Solutions for Brandon Lau. This one is a deeper question that I'm probably able to answer from a manager point of view. There's nothing to do at this point. I would just be holding him still. I know it's been literally dreadful. He runs so hot and so cold. He was like a top 20 fantasy player for the first couple weeks there. He is two for his last 39. If you want to drop him in your really shallow leagues, I guess you can. But second base is kind of barren. It's not like there's like a ton of second base options on most waiver wires. I would just be holding him. I wish that they would play him a little bit more consistently. But at the same time... I don't think that there is enough value in most waiver wires for you to be dropping Brandon Lau and actually pick up somebody who is going to have similar value to what he has been doing and what I think he will do. Because even though it's been bad, he's still giving you seven home runs so far. The power we know is legit. He can be a 35-40 home run guy if he's given consistent playing time. That's really what it comes down to and if he's also able to get into a groove. But at this point, I think it's still too soon to be dropping him. He's gone from 90 down to 85% on Yahoo. I can understand it maybe maybe in like an eight-team league. But I think the skill set is still great enough where I'd be holding Brandon Lau and wouldn't want to be doing something drastic in terms of dropping him at this point. Solutions in general would just be for me to hold on, bench him for now, and hope that he gets it figured out because he's too talented to be sending back to waiver wires, in my opinion. This might be the toughest question we get today. Uh, Time to drop Tyler Stevenson for Francisco Alvarez in a one-catcher redraft points league. Oh, man, I came into the year such a big Tyler Stevenson guy, and I still do have faith, but it has been pretty piss poor to this point for him. He's batting 260. He's only got the one home run. We know he's not going to steal for you. I think I'm okay with it. I think I'm okay with it. Alvarez is going to start to play more. He has been heating up recently. He is six for his last 16. He's nine for his last 27. I think the power is more legit with him. The batting average is probably going to be lower than what we're seeing from Tyler Stevenson at the end of the season. 
Um, but I think that overall you have better line of context with Alvarez. I'm okay making the move. I think that it might end up hurting you in the long run because Stevenson could still put together a really great fantasy season. But I think I'd be okay with dropping him for Francisco Alvarez in a lot of cases. What's the appropriate price to trade for Lance Lynn? Would you trade Logan Allen for him? Uh, offered Edward Cabrera, but declined and countered with Logan Allen. Logan Allen for Lance Lynn, I would probably do that. Uh, you know, Logan Allen has looked pretty good through his first, what is it, three starts now. He'll start again today. With Lance Lynn, he has not looked particularly good, but the strikeouts have still been there, and we saw the same thing from him last year, that it just kind of took him a while to get ramped up. I think that that's a fair trade. I think that I would probably prefer the Lance Lynn side just because of track record. We never really know with rookies how long the leash is going to be, how like when the performance is going to run out. I think I would be okay with uh, with making that trade and taking Lance Lynn there. Uh, this one, I think it pertains to today. Uh, Ashcraft, start or sit. Logan Allen, start or sit. Uh, so Ashcraft is going to be going up against Miami. No problem there starting him against Miami. Logan Allen is at home against the Angels, and I have no problem using him. Uh, he was somebody that I talked about yesterday as being a potential streamer, so I, I don't really have a problem uh, using either of these guys here today, but prefer Ashcraft. I think it's a better matchup and a more likelihood of success, higher likelihood of success, but I, I, either one of them, uh, I'd be okay to start. Uh, drop Brett Beatty? No, I would be. it's too soon to be dropping Brett Beatty, I think, outside of your really shallow leagues. I picked him up in my 10-team uh, home league before he got called up, and then I dropped him like right before he got called up because I just honestly didn't have room for him in a 10-team league. So if it's really shallow, I can understand it. If you're talking about just a third base slot, maybe just one utility spot, or even two, uh, he might not cut it. But I think in a lot of formats, 12-team and beyond, you're going to want to hold Brett Beatty. He could still be a top 12 third baseman going forward rest of season, and I want to be there for that if I can. I was upset that I had to drop him. I just had no room for him on my roster. It was unfortunate, but I would still be holding him if you can. Uh, do you think Lynn and Lodolo turn it around? Yeah, we just kind of answered this. I am definitely thinking that they'll both turn it around. I probably have more faith in Lance Lynn just because of the longer track record. He doesn't have the bad ballpark. Overall, the team context is better. I know the White Sox have sucked, but Lance Lynn and Nick Lodolo, I think, should both turn it around. I think they're both reasonable buy-low candidates if the price is right. I wouldn't be throwing anything at them. But I think if you're given a reasonable price tag, both of them are pretty, pretty interesting uh, by low candidates. Uh, we got a dynasty question here, and I apologize. I don't really want to answer dynasty questions because I don't have that deep of a knowledge. It's Ellie Dela Cruz for Mackenzie Gore and Brett Beatty. I think you probably take the Ellie Dela Cruz side there. But at the same time, I would ask the people in the industry who really, who really know their prospects, Eric Cross, Chris Clegg, James Anderson, Chris Welsh, these guys spend their time not solely, but largely devoted to prospects and dynasty. So they would be the guys that I turn to for that kind of question. But I think personally, I would probably slightly lean Ellie Dela Cruz based on the incredible numbers he's putting up so far this year. It is AAA, which is why it's a little bit skewed, and that's why I would say defer to uh, the the dynasty experts in our community. Level of concern around George Springer uh, as a Blue Jay fan, it's relatively high I know he's day-to-day -day right now he's got some kind of illness I think it's like an actual like infection or something like that he's got some kind of viral infection so it's not like an injury we have to be concerned about but the level of production on the field has been a little bit concerning I think he'll be fine from a fantasy point of view and I think he's another person where you can <coughs> oh excuse me uh, I think he's another person where you can be buying low I think that George Springer considering the short sample we've seen this season 
four homers and five stolen bases. Fantasy-wise, it's still pretty good. The batting average at 209 is shitty, and I, I don't really have that much of a doubt that he can turn it around. George Springer is like a 260, 270 guy for the last decade now. For the career 267, I don't have any real worry about him turning it around. I think over the course of the season, he'll still end up as a top 20, 25 outfielder, worst case scenario. So another guy where if the price is right, I would go take a shot on him, especially now while he's out. A lot of people will see that day to day and just get kind of frustrated, especially with the production. It's like an infection kind of thing. It's not like he's hurt his back or his arm or any, or his leg or ankle or anything like that. It's an infection. So this shouldn't be something that keeps him out for too long. I think once he's back, gets into a groove, I think we'll see the old George Springer back. But for now, uh, my level of concern is relatively high, but not too high to the point where I'm like thinking about dropping him or selling him for anything. Like I, I'm still fairly confident that he can turn it around. Is it time to let go of Alec Manoa? I've had a few questions about Alec Manoa recently. I don't think you can let go of Alec Manoa. I think that it's still way too soon to be giving up hope on a guy who was literally a Cy Young candidate last year. And everybody will point to the numbers. The numbers are not good. The underlying statistics are not good. They've never really been good for Manoa. Like, he should not have had the success that he did last season, considering his strikeout rate was shaved 5%, considering the underlying statistics were always a little bit higher. He should not probably have been as good as he was last year, and yet it was a 224 ERA over nearly 200 innings. And he was a Cy Young finalist. Are we really going to give up on him after eight starts? And granted, awful production. 13% walk rate, 16% K rate. He has been awful. But are we really ready to give up on him just yet? Absolutely not for me. I was asked yesterday if I would trade Eduardo Rodriguez for Alec Manoa. I would. I would trade Eduardo Rodriguez, who is playing out of his mind right now, for Alec Manoa, who is vastly underperforming. Rodriguez is... For the last several years, outside of the one good year in 2019, waiver wire fodder for the most part. And Manoa literally was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball last year. You could have made a Cy Young candidate, Justin, or a Cy Young case. Uh, Justin Verlander was just so, so good. No one was really going to beat him. But Manoa is somebody where he's always had characteristics that don't get caught in the stat line. He is somebody where you have to kind of just look at the confidence level that has been lacking so far this season and think that when he finally clicks, he is going to be so good all the slander. He's somebody who is online, too. He sees all the talk about Alec Manoa is this and he's that. I don't think it'll be long before he turns it around. So yet again, I think Alec Manoa, another buy-low candidate where you don't really have to spend so much. People were saying yesterday that, you know, anybody off the waiver wire, you'll take over Manoa. Like, all this kind of disrespect. Fine, let them disrespect Manoa. I'm going to be buying low where I can because I think the price is just low enough now where you don't have to pay anything that's going to be that hefty. And I think the rest of season production from Manoa could still be like a top 15, top 20 starting pitcher. So I am not ready to cut him, not even close. Uh, another prospect kind of question here. Who are the next top prospects that you think will be called up and which do you think are worth aggressively pursuing to add in a 12-team league? When do you think Strand and Liberatore will get the call? With Liberatore, I, I don't know. I Honestly, the Cardinals are so crazy. We talked about him earlier. I don't know if they are going to give him the call sooner, if it's going to be all-star break, if it's going to be at all. I, I mean, it'll be at some point because he pitched in the majors last year. There's no need to keep him down this entire season, especially if he's doing well. But in terms of an actual timeline on these prospects, they're all so random. I can't really give you any degree of certainty here. Like the Reds should call up their mashing trio of Strand, McLean, and Dela Cruz probably a week ago, but they haven't. I don't know that they're going to just do it today or tomorrow, or if it's going to be one at a time, or if it's going to all be at once in two months. 
I, I, the prospect game this year has been very different than what we've seen in previous years because of the revamped collective bargaining agreement. It does incentivize teams to bring up prospects earlier than they normally would have. So I don't know if that means the Reds are going to call these guys up sooner than usual, if it means that we're going to have to wait a little bit longer, if they're just trying to tank because they know that they're not going to be good and there's no point bringing major league ready offensive players up when they are not trying to be good. It's really a question that's too complicated to answer from a fantasy point of view, and largely because I don't know the proper answer to it. I think that they could be called up tomorrow, hypothetically. Like, literally, Strand could be called up tomorrow. So could Dela Cruz. It could also be a month from now. So in terms of stashing, I wouldn't be taking zeros on your bench for these guys at the moment. I think if you have those minor league spots, then by all means, yeah. And you could even argue, like, even if you want to take zeros for a week or two and just kind of hope for the best, you can do it. I did it with Matt Mervis in one of my NFBC leagues. I bid on him the week before he came up, hoping that he would come up. Was able to get him for a fairly modest $30 bid out of a hundred, or excuse me, out of a thousand dollar budget. In terms of uh, you know the week after when he was actually called up, we're looking at like $200 bid. So if you do want to stash a guy like Perez before there is a massive, or excuse me, not Perez, like Dela Cruz, if there is. You know, uh, if there's a reason for you to need those kind of product, those kind of stats, if you think that they're going to be called up sooner than later, because I really I can't answer it. I'm sorry that I'm giving a shitty answer here, but you just really don't know what these organizations who've proven time and time again that they don't really care about winning. So if you do want to stash them now, they'll be cheaper than they will be when they actually get called up, obviously. But I don't know if it really makes sense in a lot of cases just because we don't know the timeline for sure. So if you have minor league spots, for sure, if you don't have to eat zeros for these guys and I'd be doing it but if it comes down to a point where you have to have them sitting on your bench for two three four weeks and you're you know losing out on production because of it I don't know that I would necessarily hold on for that long but if you want to take a chance on one of these guys Dela Cruz or Strand or even Liberator and just stash them on your team I wouldn't be so opposed to it I just think that the returns specifically for Liberator are probably not going to be as nice as we're maybe hoping will Tim Anderson get better this is something that I ask myself every day because I got a couple of shares of Tim Anderson. I was pretty big on him coming into the season. So far, it has not been good, and it's been a bad couple of weeks for him. He's seven for his last 36, no homers and no stolen bases in the last two weeks. He's batting 253 over his first 83 at-bats with five stolen bases. Will it get better for Tim Anderson? Almost certainly it will. Tim Anderson's per-game production has been some of the best that we've seen for fantasy purposes over the last several seasons. Not somebody that I worry about when they're on the field. It's more about how often he is going to be on the field because of the amount of times we've seen him get injured. As long as he's out there, I don't really have a big concern about him turning it around. I think he will. Now, how long will it take is anybody's guess, really. But he's not somebody that I would be dropping. And he was dropped a little bit on Yahoo, around from 96 to 94%. I'm not even close to being there with Tim Anderson. He is still somebody who is a leadoff hitter for a team that will get better offensively. Then, you know, I, I know that it's been bad. It's been bad for a while now, but this team is too talented to be this piss poor for so long. And I think Tim Anderson slumping is a decently sized reason why they haven't done well. But again, the per game production for him has never been in question. We're talking about a 287 career hitter. He's got good power. He's got good speed. The power has not been there so far this year, but you'll still probably end up with your 10 home runs from him, 20 stolen bases, and close to a 300 batting average. Not really that concerned about Tim Anderson. Lane Thomas or Lars Nupar? I would go Lars Nupar uh, between these two at this point. You know, Lane Thomas is kind of interesting 
but I think what you get from Nupar in a much better lineup, also, you know, batting at the top of a really good lineup, usually. Nupar does bounce around slightly. Sometimes he goes down to eighth. Sometimes he's batting ninth. Usually he's leading off for what is, you know, a very talented lineup, even if it's a fairly unimpressive team so far this season. With Lane Thomas, I think that he can still have value, solid value, but I think the production might not be as steady throughout the season. And, of course, the lineup context will not be as good as what we will see from Lars Newbar. So Lane Thomas, I would per I would put a little bit below uh, Lars Newbar in terms of prioritizing pickups, free agents here. Uh, is Kimbrel worth an ad now since Alvarado on the DL for saves? I don't think that Kimbrel. We talked about this. I forget if it was yesterday, or the day before. I think it was yesterday. I don't think, or excuse me, yeah, it was two days ago we talked about Jose Alvarado. I don't think that anybody is really going to be worth picking up in the Phillies bullpen for right now. There's other options um, that you can go and look at if you're in sh- more shallow leagues for saves. We've talked about a few of them uh, over the last couple of days. You know, Lang and Estevez and Daniel Bard. And there are guys who are still available that I would much rather have over a struggling Craig Kimbrell, who I don't even know if he's going to have the role. Could be Kimbrell, could be Soto every now and then, could be Sir Anthony Dominguez. I don't really know how locked down it is with Kimbrell, so I wouldn't really want to be wasting an ad on him at this point. I don't think there's enough... Fantasy goodness left in him, unfortunately, uh, to really be worth it unless they were to say, yes, he is the closer. At this point, it's kind of hit and miss if he's going to get the chances, if it's going to be somebody else. So I wouldn't be prioritizing him at all at this point. But guys, that's it for the questions. I really, really appreciate all of you guys um, putting in your questions. It really helps me out here. Going into the weekend, uh, it's a great way, I think, to wrap up the week going through mailbags, either start of the week or end in the week. I like to do them either on Monday or Friday. Occasionally we'll mix in something on a midweek day. Uh, but that will do it for us for the week. Appreciate all you guys hanging out. Like I said, all your questions. If you have not already, please let us know what you think of the pod. Leave a rating and or review. That much really does help us to spread the word about us. I don't know why it helps so much, but when you hit the like button on shows on YouTube or here, or you're subscribing and you're downloading, it really does help other people see the show. So I really appreciate if you guys could do that. Hit me up over on Twitter with any questions, at JoeOrico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Also at Ethos, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB for any new podcast links, articles, news and notes, everything we got going on on the baseball side. But guys, we'll be back here again next week. Going to have hopefully a couple of guests coming on. I took a break this week. It was just a hectic, hectic week in my personal life, so I didn't really want to have to schedule guests. There was a lot going on. But next week, we should be back uh, with at least one guest episode. But until then, guys, have a great weekend. Take care and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.